0: I want to welcome all of you to Cross Point Church this morning. Thank you for being here on this Resurrection Sunday. We have a lot to celebrate this morning and the rest of this week and, and every day. Uh, every day is Resurrection Day for us. And, uh, and that's why we're here. And so I want to thank you for coming, especially, I mean, whether you're here um, with family, just to be with family, or this is your first time here. Uh, we're so glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here. And if this is your first time in church in a really long time, I know that it is for some of you, I want to just say thank you for taking that step. That's not an easy step to take. If you haven't been in a church for a really long time or for years, maybe, I just want to congratulate you on taking that step. That's a big step to take and we're, we're glad that you did. And I'd like to just say welcome to you. Just, just relax. We're not going to ask you to do anything weird. Just relax. And uh, hopefully get something out of the service. We're here to to serve you and to challenge you, and uh, and and to really love you with the love of Christ that that we received from Him. My name is Dave, and I am the uh, one of the pastors here. And what I do here at Cross Point is I do most of the preaching, and I get to meet with people pretty regularly and uh, share God's Word with them and do some teaching and uh, discipling and and another thing that I um, I also get to do is create uh, partnerships with other groups and organizations and schools and churches in our city so that we, as a church, can share the love and the message of Christ with as many people as possible. And that's something that really excites me. We're doing that here at West Dallas Central. We have a relationship with the school uh, that we hope will grow into something really special and uh, we're privileged to be able to meet here, and they've been a blessing to us, and we want to be a blessing to them. So, so that's who I am. That's what I do. I love my job, and um, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know, one of the things I want to do before I forget, there's a, there's a very special person in here this morning, and he's going to really enjoy this because he likes attention. So I'm going to have one of my very close friends, Dave Gustafson, if you could just stand up where you are right now. Just go ahead and stand up. Today is Dave's 40th birthday, people. <laughs> His 40th birthday. Dave, you can sit down. He'll thank me later for doing that. Um, I've known Dave for 40 years. I don't think I was there, actually, when he was born, but uh, from what I'm told, we were introduced shortly thereafter. I've known him my whole life. He's always been there for me. He's one of the most faithful friends a guy could ask for. And, uh, we've been together this whole time. It's amazing. And, um, so I just wanted to embarrass him a little bit. Uh, and today, my wife convinced me that I should dress up. Uh, normally, normally, uh, we keep it pretty casual up here. And, uh, she can, are there any guys in here who this morning, you got up, you put your clothes on, you went downstairs, and your wife looked at you and she was like, um, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> young man, go back and, uh, change, and so I, I, I feel your pain, guys. I, this really isn't a comfortable ensemble for me, but anyhow. So here's what we're going to do. The video that you saw from Amanda, I want you to take what you heard and what you saw and just, just, just set that aside. We're going to come back to that a little later. I want you to just remember what you heard because her story really is telling, and it's something we can easily relate to, and we're going to go back to it in a little bit. But before we do, uh, I just want to introduce you to this new series that we're starting today called Turning Point. And this, this series is really just a single idea that is so simple that if you don't understand it, it's got to be my fault. It's, it's because I'm not explaining it well, because every one of you is smart enough to understand what this means. A turning point. A turning point happens in your life when you are confronted with a reality or a truth that either you didn't see before or one that you knew was there and and, but all of a sudden it's right in your face and it causes you to change your direction in life. So a turning point, uh, Amanda shared several turning points in her life. A turning point can be something that has to do with your health that requires further testing. It could have to do with one of your kids. It could be the loss of a job or a loved one. It could be falling in love or the or the birth of a baby or it could be much more subtle than that. But turning points, they they cause us to sort of stop and face up to reality and decide whether or not we're going to change, whether or not we're going to change our direction or just keep on going. And every one of you has experienced turning points in your life, whether you're a kid or whether you've been on this earth for decades and decades. Every one of us has a life that is full of turning points. And this morning what we're going to do is we're going to start by looking. By the way, this collection of ancient manuscripts that we refer to as the Bible is full of turning points. It's full of, of the history of, of God with his people and how God continually confronted people with truth and it caused them to turn either towards him or away from him. It's full of stories of people with, with turning points in their life. And we're going to look at one today, a really big one, that was an event that changed the course of history and it changed the lives of a pretty small group of people at first. And so if you have your Bible, uh, please take it out and turn it to Luke chapter 24. Um, Luke is the third gospel. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And it's in the New Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 24. It's the last chapter in Luke. And Luke was a physician who was also a historian. He did a lot of research and collected a lot of data from the men and women who followed Jesus. And he put it together and ordered it Chronologically, so that we have in a very accurate account of the life of Jesus, and we're going to pick um, we're going to pick this up in Luke twenty four. And here is what's happening: on Friday, Jesus Christ was crucified. He was lifted up, and he was crucified as a criminal in a very public, humiliated, humiliating way. And his disciples, after that, were scattered. And we're told that they were very upset about what had happened. They didn't see it coming. Jesus has been dead and buried for two full days. And it's on the third day now, the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. And we're told that Jesus' closest friends and followers were all locked away in a room because they were afraid that they were going to be arrested too. And uh, we're going to pick this up in verse 13 of Luke 24. This is what it says, and we're going to have the words up on the screen here too. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they turned and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now we're going to stop there. Now that may sound strange to you. It sounds strange to me at first as well, that Jesus is with these, these two men who had followed him for quite some time. They knew each other, and yet when Jesus shows up, they don't recognize him. Why is that? Well, I, I actually don't know for sure. I don't know that anybody does, but there's a lot of speculation out there. We know that they were kept from recognizing him by some kind of power outside of themselves. So it might be that Jesus just, he he kind of kept them from from recognizing him, it could just be that Jesus, because his resurrected body looked so ordinary, it was still flesh and bones, he looked like a, a very ordinary guy, just like he always did. And if you were a follower of, of someone who you thought was the Son of God, wouldn't you think that if he was to rise from the dead, he'd have an extraordinary body? And, and, but he doesn't. And that could be also why they don't recognize him. We don't know, but they don't know it's him. And so we'll pick this up uh, in verse 17. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. So Jesus, he asked them a question, and he's kind of just getting into their business. And most people today wouldn't appreciate that. If you were walking along with a close friend of yours, and you were discussing something personal that was affecting your life in that time, and a stranger came up alongside you and asked you what you were talking about, you might think that was rude. You might not appreciate that. And what happens is these two guys, when Jesus does that, they actually stop. They stand still, their faces are down, they're sad, they're probably on the verge of tears. They're not even looking up at Jesus because they're so heavy with grief and emotion. So they just stop walking and they stand there. In verse 18, one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, asked Jesus, are you, the only, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened in these days? So Cleopas is basically saying to Jesus, where have you been? How, could you, how have you not heard what's going on? Everybody knows. In Jerusalem and the surrounding towns and villages, Everybody, surely everybody knows what's happened in the last few days. And Jesus says, what things? He asked. And I don't know about you, but I think that's hilarious. You know why? Because do do you, do you honestly think that Jesus didn't know what they were talking about? Do you actually think for a second that Jesus did not know what had been going on in Jerusalem? I mean, he was the thing. This would be like if Trayvon Jackson, one of the guards from Wisconsin, okay, remember a few weeks ago, I hate to bring this up again, but a few weeks ago, you know, the the in the final four, Wisconsin played Kentucky, and just just imagine this for if you just just humor me, okay? Imagine if after that game, after that that devastating loss, when Wisconsin lost to Kentucky, that Trayvon Jackson showed up at some bar in West Dallas, and there's a few to choose from, and he goes in and he sits down at a table like this with a couple guys, and he's wearing a hat and sunglasses and a fake mustache. He's like, hey guys. And these guys are talking about the loss. He's like, what are you you talking about? He's like, well, we're talking about the game. And he says, what game? That is basically what's going on here. It it sounds kind of ridiculous. And and I do think that Jesus had a sense of humor. I I really do believe that. But there's more going on here. Because Jesus really does want to know from these two friends of his what they think about what's happened he wants to know how they're feeling about him and about his death and what's going to happen next he wants to know what they think about god and how they're relating to god through this very difficult time in their life because because these guys they thought they knew who god was and what god was like but now they're not so sure So let's pick this up again. This is how they respond in verse 19. Jesus says, What things? And they say, About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, this is important. Because what they say to Jesus is very telling about where they're at right now. They had hoped that Jesus was the one. That Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel, who was going to rescue them. He was going to be the healer and the savior and the counselor and their helper. And he was going to deliver them from oppression. He was the one who was going to deliver them from bondage into freedom. He was going to establish his kingdom right then and there. And they were wrong. It turned out that they were wrong. And they didn't even know how to handle that. They didn't have a category for it. They didn't have a category for the resurrection. None of the disciples did. The resurrection would have made no sense to them. It didn't even fit into their worldview. So they're, they're very disoriented. They thought they knew the Bible. And they probably knew what the Bible said, but they, did, they clearly didn't understand it. And we're going to find that out in a minute. They thought they knew what God was like and they're wrong about that too. In fact, almost everything they knew about God came from Jesus. Jesus was the one who was continually teaching them about God and what God is like and showing them who God really is. And now He's dead. So now who knows what God is like? I mean, we just gave ourselves, if you're a disciple, you're thinking, I just gave my life away to follow this man who I thought was the Messiah and the Son of God, and he was going to teach me everything I needed to know in every relationship with God, and I guess I was wrong. Now what? Now where do we go? They don't know what to think, they don't know what to do. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt disoriented, where you were kind of going along in life, and everything was going fine and you, you were pretty sure you knew the difference between you know what's real and what's not and, and what God was like and what God's not like. But something happened in your life, some kind of tragedy, or maybe, maybe the person who was your spiritual mentor or influence turned out to be a total hypocrite. Or, or just something happened that threw you off course and it caused you to question everything you thought you knew about God. And that has happened to a lot of people. It's happened to me. And that's, that's a very hard place to be because you don't really know where to turn from there. And a lot of people, they just turn away. They decide, you know what? I tried God. I gave him a try. I tried the church. And, and now look how it's ended. It didn't work out the way I thought it was going to work out. My plans have not materialized the way that I thought they should. So I'm just going to give up. I'm going to walk away and, and try another way. And that's pretty much where these disciples are at right now. They're ready to give up and try something else. So here's what Jesus does. In verse 27, we're going to jump down to verse 27. And here's what Jesus does He takes his disciples to the most misunderstood collection of writings in the world the Bible. And in particular, the Old Testament. And he shows them something they've never seen before. And this is what he tells them in verse 27. In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's, in other words, beginning in Genesis, and then over over the rest of the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So the first thing Jesus does... Is he takes his disciples back to the Bible and he helps them interpret their reality and their experience from the Bible. Not the other way around. He doesn't do the opposite. He doesn't take their understanding of the scriptures or their understanding of reality and their experience and interpret the Bible through that. That's not what he does at all. He does the opposite. He takes them back to the scriptures and he tells them that that they can understand reality and their experience. Through this. And you know what he tells them? He says that the whole Bible is really about one thing it's about God buying back his people and his creation through the blood of his only son. The whole Bible is about God recreating the universe starting with the resurrection of his own son. They didn't even have a category for that. That shattered all of their categories. It gives them a whole new understanding of God's word and God himself. And we're going to look down now in verse 30 and this is where this is where they really come face to face with reality for the first time. This is what we read. Jesus goes on with them and they invite him back. They, they finally reach Emmaus and they invite him to into their the place they're going to meet. They sit down, it says in verse 30, When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. So this is really remarkable because here is the turning point. Here's the turning point for them. They 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 hadn't recognized Jesus the whole time, even when he's explaining the scriptures to them, and yet when they sit down with him and they see Jesus do something familiar, like break bread and pass it out, they finally recognize him, and that you've seen this in movies, right? Where where someone's identity is hidden for a time and then you know, so they do something familiar and it's like, It's you, it was you the whole time. I was trying to think of a movie and I couldn't. I know there's so many that where that happens. But that doesn't matter. That started with Jesus. Did you know that? That's what's happening here. Because Jesus' signature was sharing meals with people. That's what he did. That's what he loved to do. He was constantly sharing meals with with prostitutes and sinners and corrupt government officials, rich people, poor people, disabled people, people who needed healing, people who thought they didn't need any healing. He did not discriminate. Everywhere he went, he loved being with people and sharing food and drink with them. He loved parties because he loved people. That's what his whole life was about. And so they, when they see him breaking the bread and sharing this meal, it occurs. It, that's when they recognize him. That's when they finally see. And then you know what they do? Jesus disappears and they get up and they go back down the road they just came from back to Jerusalem, which is the danger zone, where the other disciples are locked away in a room. The other disciples let them in. They unlock the door. They let them in. They lock the door back up. And they start telling them, we've seen Jesus. We didn't know it was him, but we... You know, I thought it might be him. Remember when he told us... I mean, they say our hearts burned within us. Remember that? Didn't you think it was him? Yeah, I knew it was him. But they didn't. And... Nobody believes. Still. It's like still they don't get it. And then while this is all happening, Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up. In the room. In the flesh. He's physically standing there with the disciples. And he says, peace be with you. And he invites them to believe. Again. Again. He's appeared to a few of them now, twice. He invites them to touch the holes in his hands and his feet. And then he says, you got something to eat? And he starts eating there right in front of them. And something strange happens. The disciples have a very odd reaction to all of this. And it took me a while to understand what this even meant. But in verse, down in verse 41, after Jesus reveals himself to them, this is what verse, it says in verse 41. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Now, that's a very strange reason to not believe. I didn't didn't really understand what that meant at first. What we're told by Luke is, who did all this research, he talked to the disciples, and this is what they told him. We didn't believe it. You know why? Because we were too happy and amazed. What he's saying is, it was too good to be true. It was just too good to be true. Their hope was gone. They had hope that He was the one and all the joy that they expected, everything that they had put their hope in was completely gone. The the journey was over. We're as good as dead. They had nothing to live for anymore. And when God is standing right there next to them in the room, it's just too good to be true. This is like if you if you I mean think about this. You know what that's like. It's like it made me think of 1992 NCAA national championship Duke against Kentucky. Christian Leitner turns around, makes the jump shot at the at the buzzer, and Duke wins. And while I was crying out of sorrow, the camera goes over to Thomas Hill, one of the guards on Duke, and he's standing there on the sideline, and he's like. Just doing this, weeping and saying, I can't believe it. That's what he's doing because it's too good to be true. This is like a soldier who's been on a long extended tour coming home to surprise his family and the family just losing it. You've seen scenes like that. And because it's too good to be true, they can't believe it. This is like refugees who have been reunited with their family after decades You know, the border, it was finally opened up, and they get to see their family after 50 or 60 years. And it's too good to be true. And if you can picture any one of those things, you're getting close to what the disciples were feeling in this moment. Because for them, the turning point happened when they realized that reality was actually better than anything they ever dared hope. What was true about God was actually better than what they thought. It was actually better than what they thought. It was better than anything they could have ever imagined. And when it comes to God, that's what needs to happen for us. We need to set aside what we want to believe about God so that we can embrace what's true. And what's true about God is always better than anything we can fabricate. Anything at all. And these disciples, these about 100 people or so, are so happy and so amazed and so full of joy and so struck with reality that it completely turned their lives upside down. It, turned, it, it actually turned the whole Roman Empire upside down. It started this movement of churches that is still going on today. Did you know that today there are hundreds of thousands of churches meeting all over the world talking about this? And it's because they finally faced up to reality. We wouldn't be here. This auditorium would be empty every Sunday if Jesus was still dead. Did you know that? Our faith would be worthless, we're told. And and this is what I really want you to see. That it wasn't comfortable for the disciples at first. They didn't want to believe this. They didn't think it was possible. They didn't want to believe that Jesus was dead. But when they finally owned up to that, they certainly didn't believe that he was going to rise again. They just didn't. It wasn't real to them. And that's how the truth always is. It's always hard for us. It's always uncomfortable at first. It's like walking into ice cold water. You walk into water and it's uncomfortable. It hurts. But once you're in there and you're swimming in it, it feels refreshing and a little liberating. That's how reality is for us. It always feels uncomfortable at first until we actually turn. And and, and when God shows up in your life and he confronts you with what he's really like, with who he really is, you have a choice. You can go through him. You can go around him. But the best thing for you to always do is go with him. And if you choose to ignore him or ignore that truth that you know is there and just keep going in the same direction, it's never going to end well. I promise you that. It never ends well. Think back to Amanda's story. She had those several turning points in her life. She was on her way at college and she learned. She learned that her dad was ill. And she could have... I mean, I'm sure that was extremely painful and uncomfortable for her. She didn't want to believe that her dad was ill and could and could, she could lose him. That's not supposed to happen. He's supposed to live on. He's supposed to walk me down the aisle. He's supposed to bounce my kids on his knees someday. I'm just not going to believe it. Maybe if I, Maybe if I choose to ignore it, it won't be true. And if she would have taken that course... She would have regretted it the rest of her life. She would miss the, She would have missed out on those final months with her dad, just like I regretted as a teenager not spending time with my grandma who was dying of cancer. But she didn't. She embraced reality and she came home. She turned. That was a turning point for her. Same thing with the church. She came to church. You, were you talking about this church? Okay, cool. <laughs> so she came to church, and she, she she said she had a good experience and she connected and she felt like home. But she could have said she could have said, "You know what, even though it feels right, I know what's going to happen. Churches are clingy. They're going to want me to come every week, they're going to want me to serve, they're going to want me to like their Facebook page, and then I'm going to get all involved and give them my time and energy, and eventually they're going to disappoint me. And I'm going to be disappointed by the people and you know, the leadership and all of that, and I'm going to end up leaving. It be I'm just going to save myself from some time and never go back." And then you know what would have happened? Amanda would only be singing to herself in the shower, and in her car, and none of us would be blessed or changed by her gifts and talents that God has given her to build this church. That's what would have happened. And she wouldn't have been the very first person I ever baptized. And we wouldn't see her. And she would have never come to Christ. She would be living in a, a, a dream world. And she would be more independent, more selfish, more proud, and probably less happy. Definitely less happy. But she didn't ignore reality. Think about when she met Mark. and In this part, I'm going to make this up. This didn't really happen. But just stay with me. So when she met Mark and they started dating, just imagine with me. If they're on a date and something happens and it just sets Mark off and he loses it. And it's something silly and Amanda turns to him and says, What's wrong? Just relax. And he turns to her and he puts his finger in her face and he says, Don't you ever tell me to Relax. You're all laughing because you know Mark. I mean, who can picture Mark doing that? But just this happens on dates. And Amanda, in that moment, was a, was thinking, "I wonder if he wanted to hit me." But then she thinks to herself, and, and then later on, Mark apologizes and says, "That never happens. I'm so sorry. That will never happen again." And Amanda's like, "Okay. He's so he's so handsome, and he's so muscular, and smart, and sincere." I'm sure that will never happen again. And if you were watching that on a screen or a reality show, you'd be like, run girl! Run for your life! Because ignoring reality never leads anywhere good, does it? You would all agree with that. It never leads anywhere good. And this is what I want you to see. That the hardest reality for us to see, but the easiest one for us to ignore is God. It's God. Every single one of us has invented some version of God that is not real. We have all believed things about God that aren't true, and we refuse to believe things about God that are true. You know why we do that? Because it's much easier for us to change God to be like us, to make him like us, than it is for, for us to change and become like him. It's much more comfortable to believe that God is like us rather than to think that we're living outside of reality and we need to change and go with him. Right? And so let me share with you, I'm going to do this every week, I'm going to share with you some of the things that we believe about God that aren't true. And these are, true, these are for me, okay? These are things that I have believed about God that I later found out were not true. The first thing is I, I used to believe that God is, is never going to let Vicki and I, Vicky's my wife, he's never going to let us struggle financially because we're generous people. We give to the church, we tithe, we give 10% of our gross income, we give one-time gifts to missionaries and organizations sometimes. we're really We're really not that generous. I mean, there are people who are much more generous than us, but because we're generous, I used to think God's never going to let us struggle financially. He wouldn't do that because we've been given to him. It wouldn't be right for God to let us struggle, right? Another thing I used to think about God, and sometimes I still do, is that God doesn't want me to have fun. He doesn't want me to have fun following him. He would much rather I do what's right than be happy. I believed that for a very long time. And you know what? It's absolutely not true. Here's here's another one that I sometimes still struggle with. God is extremely interested in my kids' soccer games. And when I'm on the sidelines coaching my kids, I know that he's going to hear my prayers and ignore all the prayers of all the other parents on the other teams and we're going to win this game and I would love to believe that about God. And 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 here is where here's where we hit a wall because anytime you believe something about God that isn't true, there's a consequence for it. Did you know that? Every single time. So for example, when when I If I believe that God is never going to let us struggle financially because we're generous, and then all of a sudden we face some awful financial reality like severe debt, bankruptcy, foreclosure, something like that, I'm going to be completely disoriented. And you know what's going to happen? I'm going to stop being generous. I'm going to stop giving because I guess that didn't work. And really what it came down to is the only reason I was being generous is because I wanted God to protect us financially. And that shouldn't be my motive at all. When it comes to God, just, you know, God doesn't want me to have fun. I mean, if I really believed that, and I did for years, you know what I decided? If God doesn't want me to have fun, then I don't want God. Because I want to have fun. I want to enjoy life. And so I ran from God for years. And I, was, I thought I was having lots of fun. Until God confronted me with reality. And he showed me that he is the one true source of joy and satisfaction in this life. And that there is no real happiness apart from him. If I were if I really believed, and if I really believed that God was extremely interested in my kids' soccer game, this is what will happen. And thankfully this hasn't happened yet. But I would get so angry when, when we started to lose. And I would start taking it out on the kids and taking it out on the opposing coach. And I have seen this happen. I've shared this with some of you. I've been front and center. I have broken up arguments and fights between coaches on my own kids' team in the middle of soccer, baseball, and basketball games, grown men acting like little girls. And no lie, third grade girl soccer is intense. It's really, I mean, and, and so this is for real. So there's always a consequence whenever we believe something about God that is not actually true. And I think you'd, I think you'd agree with me. So if you are in any way ignoring reality, in any way, but especially about God, then you need a turning point. You need a turning point. You need to face up with the reality. And some of you will say, you know what? But I believe, but I believe that God is like this. I hear that all the time. And I, and I ask people, where, where does that belief come from? Where did you get that idea? Well, I just, I just think that that's how God should be. I, I had a dream. Um, I read it somewhere. I heard about it somewhere. I saw this movie. It just feels right. But when else does that work in your life? Officer, I believe. Oh, that's nice. Here's your ticket. Professor, I believe. Oh, that's great. Here's your grade. Honey, I believe. I believe you should wear lingerie to bed every night. I mean, when... (laughs) When does you believing something make it true? Not very often, does it? So the truth is that we need, to be, we need to be confronted with reality. And our goal in this series is that you will be able to let go of what is comfortable for you to believe so that you can embrace what is true. And if you do, if you swim in the truth for a while, you will experience more joy and more peace and more freedom than you ever have than you ever have and if you're here today and you're not even sure that god exists you're not even sure about this, this god and this whole church thing i respect that and i and i want to i want to say thank you for being here but i believe that if that's if that's what you're holding on to then you have probably been misinformed whatever you've learned about god whatever you heard about god I mean, don't you want to be informed? Don't you want to know the truth before making a decision like this? And so I would ask you to come back and and give us some time to show you what God is really like. And and if after a few weeks, after a few weeks of hearing from Jesus and seeing Jesus and and hearing from the Bible, you know, and, and being around us, you decide that this isn't what's real, I, I will let you off the hook. I mean, we'll let, we, will let you, we will let you go and, and you can go your way. We're not going to reject you. We're not going to stop loving you and serving you. But would you give us just a few weeks to show you what God is really like and actually consider where, where your idea of reality comes from? That, that's all I'm really asking you to do today. I mean, think about it. If Jesus isn't alive then nothing he said matters nothing nothing he said makes any sense i mean i don't even know why you would respect him or take his advice if he isn't alive then death reigns and ultimately none of our lives matter because there's a there's an end for each one of us and it's called death and there's nothing after so who cares but if he is alive, it, it changes everything. If Jesus is alive, then everything he said about himself, everything he said about you, and everything he said about God is absolutely true, and that should create a radical turning point for you and for me. Because what we believe is that God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him, each one of us, and he wants us to know him so badly that he left heaven. He came to earth. He took a humble, ordinary, unattractive body. He lived in humble surroundings. He worked with his hands. He gave himself over to people, loved people, served people his whole life, and then he went to the cross. He obeyed God at every point. He was fully man and fully God. And he allowed himself to be executed, crucified, And judged in our place for our sin. Why? Why would he do that? Because God wants us to know him. He wants us to be with him. And the only way that we would ever be with him is if Jesus rose from the grave. And he conquered death. That's the only way. It means that you and I can know God as he actually is. We can know reality... And reality for us, with God, is better than anything you ever dared hope. It's better. So I'm just going to tell you this. I, I, I would like you to do two things. Number one, I want you to think about what you actually believe about God and where that idea, where those ideas come from. And if there's anything that you, you really want to believe about God, that might not be true. And number two... I want you to come back and hear the rest of the story. We're going to be doing this for a few more weeks, and we would love to get to know you a little bit and hear your story too. And, and I, I would really, I mean, think about it. When you are buying a house, do you walk through the house one time? When, you, when you're looking for a spouse, do you just go on one date? No, I mean, maybe. Some people do that, but most of you haven't. And you might think, well, this is different. This is, I'm just going, I just came to your church. What's the big deal? Is this really a big deal? Well, over 40 different authors over a span of 1,500 years all agree that how you relate to God is the most important thing about you. And we agree with them. It's the, it's the most important thing about you. So will you come back and let us tell you more? We'd love to see you next week. I'm going to close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for today and what it represents for us as followers of Jesus Christ that we have hope because Jesus died and rose again, that we can know you, that we can be changed, we can, actually, we can actually walk with you in this world, Lord, and have a relationship with you. And right now, God, you are in the process of recreating this world by changing people. And one day you're going to finish what you started. And we are so thankful for that. So turn, us, turn our hearts to you now as we close our service. And may you receive the glory in Christ's name. Amen.